the first answer they say is like, yeah, you can apply for merchant services. And you're like, well, what's merchant services? Well, it, you know, like if you have a minimum balance with us or history and you can pay 250 a month for this terminal, like we give you this physical thing. And then you're like, well, I'm like a consultant. I travel around or I go mow yards. I'm a contractor. So like, how do I plug the physical thing into my truck? You know? Right. And they're like, well, yeah, it's really not built for you. Okay. Well, how can I accept payments online? Have you tried PayPal? You're listening to Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay, a podcast that empowers financial brand marketing, sales, and leadership teams to maximize their digital growth potential by generating 10 times more loans and deposits. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, where James Robert interviews the industry's top marketing, sales, and fintech leaders, sharing practical wisdom to exponentially elevate you and your team. Let's get into the show. Greetings and hello. I am James Robert Lay, and welcome to the 94th episode of the Banking on Digital Growth podcast. Today's episode is part of the Exponential Insight series, and I'm excited to welcome Derek Sutton to the show. Derek is the VP of Marketing at AutoBooks, where he is working to help financial brands understand how to best serve the SMB market. Welcome to the show, Derek. Hey, James Robert. Great to be here, man. It's been too I, long. It has, it has been too long, and this is actually a great follow-up to episode number 93, where we had the conversation with Karen Moynihan's over at Boss Insights about how financial brands can use digital to create value for small business, and that's also one of mine and then Ron Shevlin's top opportunities for financial brand growth in 2021. In episode 57, he noted this. I discussed this personally in episode number 55, framed around the top 12 digital marketing and sales trends for financial brands in 2021. Before we get there, what is something that you're excited about right now, either personally or professionally? What's good? Yeah, so, man, that's a good question, personally and professionally. Okay, yeah. so personally... I'm loving the fact that things are opening up. Got a big time family vacation plan this summer. And so personal things first, like I can't wait to go, like we're going to Hawaii. So it's the wife and I's 20th anniversary. We always said that on the 20th, we're taking the whole family to Hawaii because that was like our jam before kids. Yes. So like we want our kids to experience that. So that's what I'm looking forward to on the personal side more than anything, as you can imagine. On the work side, man, like small business is hot you know, and yes, thankfully is. for, you know, you, you as a small business owner, like thankfully it is, you know, in banking, because for far too long, it's been cold, you know, yes. and ice cold and like businesses have been left out and underserved and consumers got all the shine with Neo banks and like the kind of got the gloss and the PFM and, you know, all of that. And then commercial and treasury was always white gloved and, and handled through extensive branch networks and, and well right. taken care of there. And, you know, business owners were kind of left, fending for themselves and they weren't quite fish nor fowl, you know, not quite consumer, not quite treasury. And they kind of just found themselves kind of wanting inside of banking. And so I'm, I'm happy that they're, they're getting their shine and we're helping out. And that's one of the reasons why I listed this as a top 12 opportunity for growth in 2021. And I think we'll see this trend over probably the next two to three, five years, because it's like anything, we're starting this, we're going to get some groundswell behind it, thinking about Hawaii, you know, it's like a wave, we're just the wave is just starting yeah. out. And we're going to be go. able to ride that wave. Happy anniversary, by the way, 20 years, my wife and I, 15 years this year, and we are, we're not going to Hawaii, but we're actually going to 
Wimberley, Texas. We're going out to the hill country. Nice. And doing yeah, a little glamping. Great. There's a new place called Spoon Mountain. Highly recommend it to anyone okay. listening. They brought sure. in three safari tents from South Africa and set it up on their property. So beautiful place, beautiful experience. I can't wait to go in a couple of weeks. Man, so all the great. best, all the best to you and your family as you're heading out to Hawaii this year. So I guess we need to start our uh, travel tips podcast coming up here. <laughs> like, you know, like you and I can just like riff on this. It sounds like we definitely could because my wife and I, we, you know, my first time, believe it or not, out of the country, I was 24. We, yeah. It was our honeymoon. We, we got married and we went down to St. Lucia for our honeymoon and stayed at a little boutique resort called Ladera. And you got to remember, this was 2006. And I remember doing some, sure. I read about this in the book, doing some exploring of where we're going to stay. Our dream was to go to Bora Bora. And right. so being newlyweds, we didn't make it there. We actually made it there in 2010 for our, our first baby moon. Nice. But 2006, nice. you know, newlyweds, you know, company was getting started up. We went to Ladera in St. Lucia and had a fantastic experience and then started traveling, you know, two to three times a year. And then we had kids yeah. and started taking the kids. And then once <laughs> we had our third kid, I'm like, you know what? We're going to hit the pause button on the travel. Yeah. Our last trip was... Yeah, go ahead. And you look forward to glamping, you know, like that, that. That's the thing, right? You go from Bora Bora to glamping in Wimberley. That's just that's just the role of a parent. It is. And life becomes much more, I, I think, simplified. And our last trip was Valentine's Day 2020. We picked the kids up from school and we went mm-hmm. out to Disneyland, California. And I'm so grateful we did when we did because the world shut down about two weeks later. But we made a tremendous amount of uh, family memories together there. Dude, that's awesome. So one more interesting travel anecdote story tailoring off that. Cause like our last are like simpatico, we were scheduled to go to Disneyland the week of like the whole shutdown thing. So like we were basically on our way and boom, like you said, at least you got it in ahead of time. And as you and I were talking before, we were both in Galveston, Texas, the same, same time, same Man. day, probably within a couple of miles of each other. Uh, and so we definitely, we need that. We need that travel podcast, but I'm going to come back to talking about embedded banking, thinking about embedded banking, the work that you guys are doing over at at AutoBooks. What is embedded banking? Let's start there for the dear listener with a definition, because I think we'll, we'll use that for some context in today's conversation. Yeah, sure. So I'm going to go into the topic of embedded banking, and then I'm going to transition to embedded fintech. And I'll kind of like pull those two together. Cool. So embedded banking is this whole movement of software as a service companies. So think about generally available applications to consumers that then have banking services integrated or embedded within them. So whether that be a bank account, whether that be payments, whether that be integrated lending, think about a non-traditional banking entity providing something of value to an end consumer through an app, through a website, but having banking like integrated or tied into that you know, very directly. And so what happens is the reason for this movement, James Robert, is because if you look at the valuation of software companies and their ability to basically monetize a user base, it's capped out by their total addressable market times the monthly software revenue they're gonna charge and then what rate of penetration they get on that addressable market, right? Mm. That's software as a service business, that's the revenue model and that's where they're judged from a valuation perspective. The minute those companies plug in payments or banking, the valuation and the opportunity goes up significantly. So you take every existing user, you can then monetize them four to five times more just on your existing user base. 
by plugging in payments or plugging in banking. That's why you know the Airbnbs of the world, the Ubers of the world, the beautiful Chick-fil-A app, all of these companies that have designed consumer experiences around what they have to offer are integrating banking, payments, lending capabilities because it increases the overall value of the service offering, the revenue, the valuation of the company, so forth and so on. So that's embedded banking. Now, if embedded banking is true, right? And it is, it's a trend, it's not going away. If embedded banking is true, where you can go out and build a product flywheel and deliver a solution of value to an end consumer, and then you, you in that flywheel, you take from, I wanna make it really convenient and easy for somebody to order food on the go. And then the next thing that's natural to that is, oh, I might as well go ahead and capture the payment and then add loyalty rewards, et cetera. That's a product flywheel in SaaS. So if that is true, then the inverse can be true as well. And that's what I call embedded FinTech. And Ron Shevlin's been writing on that here recently as well. And so the inverse is that is saying, okay, I'm a bank or a credit union. I have a customer base. I have a TAM, a total addressable market of customers. I have products and services integrated inside of what I offer as a financial institution. And I basically have... Uh, the ability to create almost like a checking flywheel or an account flywheel for a for an end consumer, right? And so if I look at embedded fintech as something that I can plug into my banking product, my flywheel, the inverse is true for financial institutions as well. So our hypothesis is, okay, I'm a financial institution. I have small businesses, a small business checking account. What's the next natural thing that a small business needs within that checking account. Well, they need the ability to accept payments and execute bill payments and reconcile the transaction and maybe get access to a P&L statement or what have you. Well, if those things are true and, and likely that the business owner needs, then banks should be able to embed fintech services into their offering right. and deliver even more value to their addressable market. I like that idea, adding value exponential value and the idea of the of the flywheel i can't help but think about hubspot and how sure. hubspot with SaaS software as a service you know they started out in marketing automate it was actually more blogging then they added some marketing automation then they added the crm then the cms and then the service component and now they just added the operations component and it's it's adding exponential value along the way had some really good conversations about banking as a service with christopher danvers in episode 88 with with uh, Nathan uh, Bomeister over in episode 79. And, and when I think about this, this idea of the flywheel, specifically for business services, what mm -hmm. might be some of those specific opportunities to really get embedded deeper with a small business or a mid-sized business relationship? So I could go really deep on this one and wide. So this this is this is where the the heart of the matter is. So sure, probably the number one neglected capability inside small business banking today is helping business owners accept payments from customers. Mm. So you know, as an industry, we're obviously very well equipped and um, have for since the dawn of banking offered accounts, the ability to ledger and keep track of of, of a balance, right? And then over time, we've made it to where you can pay bills and move money very, very simply and easily, like added in bill pay, transfers, external transfers, capabilities like that. But when it comes to the deposit, we've always kind of rested on our laurels in making of really being related to like, okay, what deposits take place in the branch? And we're building around that cash deposits, check deposits. And so that was really how businesses got capital into their account for the most part. I'm talking about small businesses and micro businesses. 
Right. And so really the way to deposit funds as a business owner, you know, for a small business owner with a bank is cash or check. Now there are capabilities to do ACH batch entries and wire management and positive pay and all those things, but that really applies to a whole different category of business customers. So the next most logical thing is saying, okay, well, if there's an evolution of banking services and how people transact today, which is moving to digital, right? So now, even though a person comes to my, my house and mows my yard, the request for payment is definitively moving from in-person to online, Yes. right? Digitizing of invoices, requesting payments virtually, Venmo, PayPal, Square, et cetera. So if that's true, then banking's next evolution of what's the next thing inside that, that checking flywheel, making it easy for small businesses to accept online payments has to be in there. If not, then all you're doing is becoming the record of entry. You're making it easy to move people, let people move money out of their institution, i.e. bill pay. You support some level of digitizing an old vestige of yesteryear, which remote check to composite capture, right? You enable them to do that. But when it comes to how the world is moving and, and where transactions are moving, specifically from a depository standpoint or receivables, that's really not included in traditional banking services today, which is, which is you know, ironic. So what's happening is companies like PayPal, Square, Shopify, QuickBooks, everybody else is recognizing that. And they're recognizing this flood of uh, move to e-commerce and digitizing of receivables and payments. And they made it real easy for businesses to onboard into their service. And then the second, like literally the second that I onboard into PayPal Square or what have you, they are looking to disintermediate my banking relationship, right? They're sending me push notifications of like, hey, keep your money here. Don't, you know, wait days of delay to transfer your money back to your bank. Oh, you want it in real time? Here's the fee. Hey, why do you need a bank account? Here's a real-time business debit card you can use right now. Spend out of your account. Here's access to a line of credit, you know, instant line of credit over time. So they're immediately looking to disintermediate. And then the ironic thing about all that is you call the frontline staff of a bank and you say, hey, I'm a small business owner. I've been with you guys for for several years now. I have a lot of customers asking if they can pay by credit card or debit card. Can you help? And the first answer they say is like, yeah, you can apply for merchant services. And you're like, well, what's merchant services? Well, you know, like if you have a minimum balance with us or history and you can pay $250 a month for this terminal, like we give you this physical thing. And then you're like, well, I'm like a consultant. I travel around or I go mow yards. I'm a contractor. So like, how do I plug the physical thing into my truck? You know? Right. And they're like, well, yeah, it's really not built for you. Okay. Well, how can I accept payments online? Have you tried PayPal? Yes. Literally we do secret shopping. And they lose the relationship or it's like death Stop. by a thousand cuts. And yet I had this exact conversation. It's a great echo to the, some of the perspective that we, I was talking with Karen in episode number 93, because I talked about, for example, QuickBooks. I talked about Shopify. I talked about, for example, Gusto. Gusto yeah, runs sure. our HR over here. Yeah. And now they're offering financial services almost direct to employee, even from a, and it's just, it's so fascinating to see this, this split and you're right. PayPal square, we begin to lose that relationship. And so how can we overcome some of that? What holds financial brands back from making a commitment to say, instead of Have you heard of PayPal? Have you heard of Square? Don't go there. We can bring this here. What holds some of that thinking back or that action back from saying, well, here's a path forward for you? Sure. So I think that comes back to the definition of embedded fintech and why that's important moving forward, quite frankly. 
Yes. And so what, what holds a lot of financial institutions back is let, let's be clear, like a lot of your strategic roadmap is built by the vendors that you partner with, Correct. you know, it just is. And so if vendors don't have the right solution or they don't have the capability for you to plug in, you're a bit hamstrung in what you can do and go to market with. And so where I think embedded fintech becomes important is because these, you know, the, these larger core and digital vendors are recognizing, and I give them all the credit. I came from that world and it's changing for the good. Right. They're recognizing that they can't possibly build and deliver everything for every FI and for every use case. And so, you know, companies like Q2 are creating their marketplace so that fintech companies can say, go to Q2's marketplace, can do integration into their SDK and deploy their, their financial services app out to the wider base of marketplace customers. And no other digital banking providers are, are doing the exact same thing now. And so as a fintech company, like a fintech that wants to partner with banks, what we want to do is embed not only the technology inside of the FI, because that's one piece of it, mm. like product procurement, technology integration, compliance, safety, security, making sure that things are on, the lights are on, and people can use the app. That's step one. Step two is saying, okay, but now we need to go to market. Yes. Now we need to educate people on this new capability and feature that we have. And you, you preach this, but for whatever reason, financial institutions just, they, they aren't aggressive. I'll just say they're just not aggressive enough with that. And it's almost as if, you know, they feel like they're going to offend their customer base by, by telling them about the services that they offer. I was going to ask, like, I agree because it's a very passive reactive stance right. that financial brands take in the marketplace. And I'm advocating, take a proactive stance, yeah. lean into people's problems, lean into their pain points, offer the, the cures, the prescriptions, but what holds them back from taking that proactive stance moving forward? Because I think you use the word, they're afraid they're going to offend someone. Why is that? I think it's a little bit of, it's a vestige of let's just say it's like the DNA of banking almost to where they're so used to doing business in person mm. in in-person conversations. And so when you're in person, sometimes selling is a little bit awkward, you know, yeah. quite frankly. Yeah. And so like if that's in your DNA and how you built a company and an organization, you know, you kind of build around like, well, you know, we're their bank. They don't want to, I hear this pretty often. Like they don't want to just hear from us about every little thing. Like they just want to know that their account, is in good standing. Everything's working. They don't want to hear from their bank on a regular basis. And I'm like, you know what? I talk to a lot of business customers and they kind of do, you know, they actually really do. They want to know how you can help them because they're out there trying to piece together all these solutions and figure out how to just do business more efficiently. And then you're in the boardroom saying, you know what? I don't think we need to send that many marketing messages out to our customer base because they don't want to hear from us. And like, I think that we're just like ships passing in a night a little bit. Technology has transformed our world, and digital has changed the way consumers shop for and buy financial services forever. Now, consumers make purchase decisions long before they walk into a branch, if they walk into a branch at all. But your financial brand still wants to grow loans and deposits. We get it. Digital growth can feel confusing, frustrating, and overwhelming for any financial brand marketing and sales leader. But it doesn't have to, because James Robert wrote the book that 
that guides you every step of the way along your digital growth journey. Visit www.digitalgrowth.com to get a preview of his best-selling book, Banking on Digital Growth, or order a copy right now for you and your team from Amazon. Inside, you'll find a strategic marketing manifesto that was written to transform financial brands, and it is packed full of practical and proven insights you can start using today to confidently generate 10 times more loans and deposits. Now, back to the show. I agree. And to that point, episode number 83 with Marcus Sheraton, a great book, They Ask, You Answer. And and it really flips the perspective of, you know, it's not about promoting or marketing from the old world sense of product pushing. It's what we teach, which is to help first to sell second. And that ideology, that belief system has to be owned from the top down and the, from the bottom to the top. Otherwise, like you said, it's kind of ships passing in the night and we dabble in this a little bit. When you look at this idea of digital communication mm-hmm. and the concern is overly communicating. You talked about doing secret shopping. We're doing digital secret shopping as well for financial brands. A lot probably more right now on the consumer side have, sure. have started to move over into the SMB space slightly as I think more awareness is gained into the opportunities. But I'm going to give you some perspective for the dear listener when it comes to this. Uh, recent study, bottom of the funnel, secret shopping, looking at the application on the consumer side, the same could be done on the SMB side, but on the consumer side, we looked at a, a credit union, we looked at a local competitor of this credit union, and then we looked at Chime. And we had real consumers go through the application process on the credit union side and the local competitor side, normal 60 to 70% abandon it because of some friction and frustration. They're like, we're not going to move forward. Chime, 100% conversion rate on it. Sure. And then number two, we did a 30-day follow-up to the experience doing memory recall. Out of these three digital experiences, which communicated with you? What is top of mind right now? 100% definitively said chime. We said, wow. how many how many pieces of digital communication did you receive, i.e. email, text, et cetera? On average, nine to 11 email communications in the first 30 days. Mm. Do you feel that was annoying or frustrating? No, why? Because they were guiding us to the next step. Here's what to do, have you considered this? And so it was more education, learning about the product, diving deeper, and so nine to 11 pieces of email communication, no one found it annoying, and it created the top of memory recall. Why? Helping first, selling second. Okay, so let's go deep on this, because this is like you're, once again, we're, we're, in, this, we're in this lane, man, like we're, we're here. So jam. when we do embedded fintech, like I said, it's the product and it's the go-to-market. And the go-to-market implementation is basically marketing as a service. You know, so it's an email automation campaign. It's yes. outbound calling and education. It's frontline staff training. And it's all to basically put out what you just said. And so our email automation system has a send of close to 11 emails in that same 30, 30 day period, right? Yep. But they're written from the perspective of interviews from the businesses understanding their pain and what they're trying to accomplish in their daily workflows and writing these emails in a way that resonate with the business owner that don't communicate bankies. Okay. So I'm going to back up one second. There's supply side marketing and there's demand side marketing. Supply side is, Hey, these are all the things we can offer you. 
This is the bullet pointing list of features. My kind of running joke is you go to a small business checking account and it's like, here's all the things we're going to charge you for. And here's how to avoid those charges. Like, right. <laughs> like what a way to market. Like, here's all your fees. Oh, but you can avoid these fees if you do these things all related to money. Right. Yep. And so it's all basically you're saying, okay, here's like this kind of bait and switch kind of marketing that I'm putting in front of you. And oh, by the way, if you want to make sure you avoid these fees without a spreadsheet and start doing the math and like, let's, let's kind of like see where we're at versus demand side marketing, demand side marketing says, okay, what's, what's coming in from the customer's perspective? How are they looking at the account? What is their daily workflow? How are they going to resonate inside of this um, service offering? And how can you create it to say the customer has demand for your service? So like, if you kind of look at Square doesn't do like a, like a great job at it, but they do an okay job at it on demand side. So if you're a banker and you want to go like, kind of like, what am I looking at? Go look at your small business checking account feature list and then go to Square and go to like banking services or financial services or whatever they call it. And they have things like move money. Yep. You know, so like I need to move money, right? Okay. How do I need to move money? I get paid in person. I get paid remotely. There's like, there are three or four different options, but they're looking at it from the perspective of if I'm a business customer coming in and looking at these services, how do I relate to it? right? Hmm. That's the demand side marketing. So all of our demand marketing goes out and it says, okay, from the place of the business owner, like we literally have an email that the subject line is, I didn't know payments would be brain surgery, or I don't want payments to be brain surgery. Why? Because that's what customers told us, right? Yeah. Like understanding how to stitch together a system of requesting payment, getting paid, reconciling the transaction, keeping up my books feels like brain surgery. Over and over, it kept coming up. So you know what we write? An email that says that. Yes. And you know who loves it? Business the, owners. The and end you know user. What? They, they love it. And so like what happens is they come back and we lo I love to show this to, to banks. And they're, they, um, they're like, well, you just send a lot of emails. And we're like, yeah, but you know what happens when we send emails? Concentrated shopping. It's what I call it. So concentrated shopping. So if they just log into digital bank, if you just wait for the world to come around to you, right? Like I'm either going to walk into the branch and you may or may not tell me about this, or I'm going to log into digital banking. You may or may not serve me an ad on this. Those are ad hoc shopping events. It's like people are walking through this busy mall every day and they may walk by the window and they never really like, kind of like look at what's going on. You hope that they kind of come into your store, right? right? And have an intentionality into buying something. What email marketing does, and even a little bit of outbound calling, is it creates a concentrated shopping event. It basically says, hey, here's what I have to offer into an email inbox. And the subject line is then basically looking into the window. And then if they decide to open up the email, that's this, that's them deciding to go in and shop. Right. But what happens is you force everybody to make that decision about, I mean, they're gonna go in and shop or I'm not. Yeah. And if they shop like I do, sometimes it takes them multiple times to go into the store to make the decision. And so what we see in our email system is businesses will come back to the email 30 times, 20 times, 15 times. And then we also, we write these longer form conversion copywritten emails, you know, because they tell that story, they take them through that journey and they will, we have like 75% read rates on wow. our emails, which is unheard of. No, right? exactly. They're, they're coming back and they're like, dude, that's, you're reading my mail here because like I have this pain. I need to read this and come back to it. Because business owners, small business owners are super busy. Like you're busy, right? Like your calendar's booked from eight to five. Like you have to like come back and read this stuff late at night, you know? And that's yeah. what happens. 
this is brilliant. And and two things. One, marketing as a service. Hmm. You're taking the pain of the FI off from having to go to market and you're using this expertise and this knowledge that you've gained through, you know, research and insights. And it all comes down to really, I think, two things. One, what we call human-centered growth, i.e. human-centered design. And then number two, the consumer persona, the empathy map, those questions, concerns, those hopes and dreams, and playing off of those. And you're right, this idea of brain brain surgery, using the words that you hear over and over and over again, and like addressing that. And it's it's funny, because when I make these recommendations to financial brands of like leaning into people's pain points, for example, getting a business loan doesn't have to feel painful. Totally. They're, they're like, why do we want to, you know, that's negative. It's a negative connotation. I said, no, because you're like literally through that word, you're empathizing with that person's pain. And you're like, totally. Like, no, it doesn't. And so I think that this is where the training and the education, there's a tremendous opportunity. And it's not a massive mindset shift. It's just almost like, you know, just looking at the world slightly different, stepping into the business owner's shoes, because you never understand someone until you walk a mile in their shoes. Right. Right. And, and then you're keeping that attention. They're coming back, you know, 25, 30 times looking at that email. And now you're hitting into a blue ocean opportunity for financial brands, both on the consumer as well as on the business commercial side. And that's the consideration stage of the buying journey, because there's a lot of information that goes in. There's a lot of decisions. We're actually starting to explore what is called Colby, K-O-L-B-E, Kathy Colby, and how her research can help inform marketing and sales behavior, because what Colby looks at is four areas of the brain. It's actually the conative part of the brain, because you have IQ, which her father, Wonderlich, studied with the Wonderlich exam. So there's that. There's So that's intelligence. Then you have the emotional side of the brain where you get like Disc and Myers-Briggs. And then you've got Kathy Colby, who's been studying the conative part of the brain, which is what I would typically say is the OS, the operating system of the brain. Mm -hmm. And there's one of four areas there. And one of them is called Fact Finder. How much information does someone need before they feel confident enough to make a decision to move forward with? And then when you think about entrepreneurs and business owners, they tend to trend high in another area called quick start. Mm. And so this is something too that I think could help maybe make some informed decisions at an internal level, because now you know more of the operating system of the business owner and how they're consuming information, how they're making decisions, and then use that to support them, to guide them forward on these journeys. Fascinating stuff, man. I'm excited for you guys. Yeah, that's right. It's uh, man, that's, that's some cool stuff. So the, um, so the the operating system of the brain totally like that that resonates with us uh, big time. So I think I think the the thing is what I always try to communicate to financial institutions is, yeah, this this may feel weird, may feel awkward from what you've traditionally done, but if they came into your branch and you had a conversation, yeah, our emails actually communicate in a way that you would as a as a person. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not just like a stock image with three or four features. And then like our, you know, my, my kind of joke is like, and 75% disclosure, right? <laughs> you know, like that's the average email marketing message. It's like, most of the content here is like legal, you yeah. know, which is okay. Like we're banks, like we, we need to do that. And I'm not saying like to do this in an uncompliant or unsafe way. It's just saying like, meet the user, the customer where they're at and like help them make progress against your financial institution. And it's okay to be communicative 
with them, you know, like we show the results, you know, like the people opting out and unsubscribing super, super low. And we hear from, from customer after customer, you know, like I never heard from my bank until they had auto books. And then you guys reached out and man, like you hit me at just the right time. And that's yep. the point. Like, that's the point of like good engagement and marketing is you want to hit the, hit the person at the time that they need it, you know, and that's the reason to be persistent, quite frankly. And that's where the proactive nature of all of this comes because um, I kind of laugh. Someone on LinkedIn today, I had messaged them just to check in to see what was going on. And they replied back. They were like, do you have a microphone in my office? Because we were just talking about what I had reached out to them for. Oh, wow. And I kind of chuckled and I sent them a loom video. I said, no, no microphone. But a lot of it is just you're being aware of like the digital buying signals Right. Um, and tracking that and then use utilizing that to make those informed offers. I want to ask, thinking about everything that we've talked around about, you know, embedded banking, embedded fintech, the, the SMB marketplace, what is a common belief that other leaders in this industry have at financial brands that you might just passionately disagree with? What might be holding them back here? Yeah. So I would say the, um, we've talked about a little bit, the marketing side, but like positioning of their products, Mm. I I think is one of the biggest misses. And we've actually gone through recently. So I'll kind of give you a little heads up, but like we've been going through a learning exercise with a lady named April Dunford who wrote a book called obviously awesome. And so she's basically a positioning expert. And so April's working with us to help us better understand how financial institutions should position their products specifically small business checking. And so if I look at the landscape and it's something I've been looking at for the past year, if you look at account listings and features and like how financial institutions describe their products, it's largely undifferentiated. Yep, They're effectively all the same. And so I think what's happened in this whole movement to digital is we're very supply side oriented, meaning that here's all the things that we can offer Let's figure out a way to get all those things up on a website and list it out for people and hope that they basically find something that, that, you know, they need. And so like little things where like they go to small business checking and we list out feature names really kind of built from what we called the product inside core banking back in the day. Right. And eventually it made its way into digital banking. It makes little to no sense to the average business owner. If you ask them like, what's positive pay mean? Like, do you know what positive pay means? How long have you been in this industry? That's banker knees, man. Yeah. It's yeah. banker knees. It's like, it's like LTV and, you know, a, we've even seen like APY throw people off because they're like, they're going to charge me a percentage for, I'm like, no, right. we're going to pay you money to keep your money here. Yeah. And so you're, you're right. April Dunford. We got to yeah. get, we got to get her as a guest on this show. Cause yes, I, I think sure. that'd be a, be a really fun conversation. I'm going to yep. give a shout out to uh, Louisiana federal credit union because okay. they've done a tremendous job. They've been in our program for probably five or six years. And we've had a couple of their team members as guests on this show, just talking about the experiences. But when it comes to positioning their business 
products, they have actually done something to where they have built and developed what is called the complete guide to exponential business growth. Wow. And it is a meaty subject matter book. It's an ebook you download and it's positioned as confidently grow your business in Louisiana. So there's some good SEO love to that. How cool is that? And they're doing a fantastic job moving forward. I want to, Derek, this has been a lot of fun. I want to get really practical here Okay. at the very end because I think all massive change and transformation begins with one small, simple step, one micro commitment that someone can make listening today. Sure. What would that small, simple step or micro commitment be that you would recommend them move for, move forward with? Sure. I would just say recognize that small businesses are not um, multi-employee shops you know, don't necessarily have the the needs that you hear from the common business owner that you served through ACH batch origination, wire management, yes. treasury. It's like the way you used to think about small business banking. I think if you actually look at the data, so 31.7 million small businesses in the U.S. Big opportunity. 80, 81% don't have any employees. Yep. Single sole proprietors. Yep. In addition to that, there's a growing number of independent workers, 40, 41.1 million independent workers. So if you think about that category, Man. and they live largely between retail and basic small business. So the one thing to walk away from is I need to learn about small businesses, right? I need to understand their pain points and how digital transformation for them is impacting their banking relationship. Because yes. last year, we had a 45% adoption of e-commerce last year in 2020, 45% wow. growth. It's been year over year, 15%. Wow. So last year, three times as many people moved into e-commerce and moved away from traditional branch and retail shopping. What does that mean? That is a huge shift in technology behavior, right? specifically with payments that is not going away. It will not revert. And business owners had to... I'm a storyteller. So San Antonio, Texas, there's a, a small consulting company or a like consulting company that does training for kiddos with reading disorders, dyslexia, and things like that. They used to go in person to meet with the kiddos. They would do the therapy session and then they would collect a check from the parents. They had three or four consultants. They would go around the community and do this. The next day, when the people went in to check in the office, they'd bring the check. The office manager would take the check to the bank later that day, get it deposited, and that wow. was their workflow, right? Wow. COVID hits, they can't yep. go in person, right? So what do they have to do? Like you said, they're entrepreneurs. They have this operating system, like we'll have to figure it out. So they started setting up Zoom sessions with these parents and the yep. kiddos and they did their therapy sessions there. But then what was broken? Payments. The way they got paid. So thankfully for them and us, AutoBooks was installed in their financial institution. They adopted our solution. They now send digital invoices to the parents to get paid, okay? But it gets better. So now their business model has changed because they said, you know what we found? We can do more sessions per day doing it this way. We still have the same relationship. So once a month, we go on person and meet with the kiddos and do a, a once a month thing. But the other three sessions are all digital. We've now signed up all these parents for auto pay. Wow. We don't have to worry about the trip to the branch, right? So it's this year reinvented how they may not have ever changed that. They may not have recognized that was that broken, quite frankly. No. But last year changed for people the way they accept payments and they're not going backwards. They're gonna no. find ways of like, oh, this is more efficient. So the one thing, financial institutions better understand business customers, what they're going through, 
Secondly, they need to get paid. I haven't met a business out there that doesn't need to get paid. You can either be at the forefront of that or you can not. There will be winners. There will be losers. Cash is king and maybe soon to be crypto is king. So we'll see. We'll see where that goes. Derek, this has been an absolute blast to have this conversation. Thank you so much. I'm grateful for the insights that you have shared, the knowledge that you have shared. If someone wants to continue this conversation and discussion, what is the best way for them to reach out and say hello to you? Yeah, just uh, email me, Derek, D-E-R-I-K. So forgive my parents for the for the weird misspelling, D-E-R-I-K at autobooks.co or Twitter or LinkedIn on Twitter at Derek, D-E-R-I-K Sutton. Man, I would fill you with that name because people are always like, is it James? Is it James Robert? Nope, it's yeah. two first names. And when I was in <laughs> trouble at home, it was James Robert Williams. So I, I feel you, man. Hey, Derek, thank you so much for joining me on another bet, episode of Banking on Digital Growth. This has been fun. Awesome. Thanks for having me. As always, and until next time, be well, do good, and make your bed. Thank you for listening to another episode of Banking on Digital Growth with James Robert Lay. Like what you hear? Tell a friend about the podcast and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify and subscribe while you're there. To get even more practical and proven insights, visit www.digitalgrowth.com to grab a preview of James Robert's best-selling book, Banking on Digital Growth, or order a copy right now for you and your team from Amazon. Inside you'll find a strategic marketing and sales blueprint framed around 12 key areas of focus that empower you to confidently generate 10 times more loans and deposits. Until next time, be well and do good.